Hello, my lovely listeners. I'm Dr. Mary Barson. And I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. Welcome to this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. Good morning, lovely listeners. Dr. Mary Barson from Real Life Medicine here. And today I am joined by my fabulous doctor colleague, Dr. Lucy Burns. How are you, my friend? I am super well, Mares, super well. My hubby and I have bought a caravan. So we've joined the grey nomads, or in my case, the blonde nomad, because one of the things that we decided last year in lockdown was that we did want to travel more, but have a little bit of independence. So we've had fun fitting it out. We've taken it for a little practice voyage, and that went well. And the thing I'm most excited about is that we will be able to travel and I can still do real-life medicine work because real-life medicine is so portable. So in this wonderful age of the internet, you can take your work with you. Well, beautiful woman, um, as your business partner and friend and colleague, I think it's great that you'll still be working on a, a fabulous a fabulous real life medicine, which is obviously so close to both of our hearts. And I also hope that you will also have some wonderful rest and recreation and relaxation as well as you gallivant around the countryside. It's exactly what I'll be doing, darling. Exactly. <sighs> Sounds nice. Absolutely. Now, this week we are diving into part two. It was meant to be hypnosis versus meditation or hypnosis and meditation last week, but we got so, uh, you know, invested in our topic on hypnosis that we ran out of time to discuss meditation. So we thought we'd talk about it this week. And what we thought we'd address would be, you know, the similarities where hypnosis and meditation, there is some crossover, but more importantly, the differences and the ways in which you can use meditation as a tool to improve your health. Obviously one of our favourite topics because we completely ran away with it last week and spent our entire budgeted time talking about hypnosis. <laughs> but we, we can also spend a lot of time and energy discussing meditation and mindfulness. As weight loss doctors, we love meditation and mindfulness because almost everything not everything, but almost everything with regards to healing your metabolic health and losing weight permanently happens inside your beautiful mind. Absolutely. And our minds are slippery. Like they are difficult to manage. Would you agree that human minds are hard? <laughs> They're like a wet octopus. <laughs> they are like a wet octopus. I like that. I was thinking a slippery fish, but a wet octopus is, is a much better analogy. It is. Yeah, if you just think you've got it and then an arm shoots out and takes you off on a little direction. So, yes, definitely. But it's a lifelong journey, learning how to work with your brain, to manage your brain, and to continue on this beautiful personal development journey that is permanent health and weight loss. Absolutely. So... Lovely listeners, meditation, it's a glo it's, it's, well, it's not a global term, it's a blanket term for many techniques that you can use to induce a relaxation state. So in many ways it does share some similarities with hypnosis. But I think 
what's happening at the moment again is that people are using mindfulness and meditation interchangeably and you can do meditation as part of your mindfulness practice but they are also there's some quite distinct differences that we thought we'd explore today so mez why could you explain to our listeners our lovely friends what is the difference like what is meditation and what is mindfulness yeah so meditation is really anything that induces a relaxation response. That, that's certainly one way to define it and that, that is how we choose to define it. And a relaxation response is a type of trance state that we discussed last week, trances being perfectly natural and normal. And it is a natural state that we can get into, gets better with practice, where we literally change our physiology for a period of time while we're in the relaxation response and indeed the beautiful physiological changes can actually persist beyond that period of relaxation and when you're in a relaxation response lots of beautiful things happen you feel relaxed and nice usually a beautiful sense of well-being and calm comes over you often stillness your heart rate goes down, your blood pressure goes down, your oxygen consumption reduces, your brain waves actually change, the pattern of electricity that your brain emits changes and you get beautiful hormonal changes, your cortisol levels decrease, your adrenaline and noradrenaline levels decrease and it's extremely healthful. A shorthand way of saying it is that you're really activating the relaxation part of your autonomic nervous system so you are entering a lovely rest and digest phase and dampening down and reducing your stress pathway in your autonomic nervous system the fight or flight response and it's lovely and there's lots of ways that you can induce a relaxation response and all of those broadly are called meditation and it doesn't have to be sitting on a rock going um at dawn there's lots and lots of different ways that people can induce this relaxation response they can be still they can be moving there's lots of different ways absolutely and yoga it can be part of that as well can't absolutely it? absolutely i can get quite deep in a relaxation response when i'm really concentrating on my yoga i'm a total yoga beginner but that doesn't mean it doesn't benefit me and mindfulness can be a way to induce a beautiful relaxation response. That's generally what I use it for, among other things, but it's not just that. Mindfulness is it's bringing deliberate attention to our mind. So mindfulness is the deliberate intention to observe our minds and to observe the activity of our mind in a really non-judgmental way. And one way to do this is to get into a fairly nice sort of, you know, calm, relaxed state and and watch your mind, the thoughts that you have in a really non-judgmental way and then gently try and bring your awareness back to something in the present is generally a, a way that it's done. So the breath, bringing your mind back to your breath, observing how your mind then wanders off to the billion things that you've got to do, to that embarrassing thing that happened yesterday, to that stressful deadline you've got looming, just watching how your mind will wander off like that, observing your thoughts, and then once you notice that your thoughts have gone off, you then bring them back 
to your breath, for example, and then they will, your thoughts will wander off again because that is what your brain does. And then you gently bring it back again. Mindfulness is kind of like you could define it as this sort of mental dance that you do. And doing this mental dance, concentrating on your breath, watching your thoughts wander off and then gently bringing them back and, and, and backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards is often relaxing. People will often get into a meditative state doing this practice and that is called mindful meditation. It's a very accessible form of meditation for a lot of people that's got the double added fabulous benefit of mindfulness as well. But they are actually distinct. Yeah, and I, I guess one of the things I would just like to j- jump in there is expectation management. So for a lot of people, they think they start, so many people go, I've tried meditation, I can't do it, because they start and their mind wanders off and then they, they start again and their mind wanders off and they start again. And that's actually normal. Like that is so normal. If your mind doesn't do that at the start, then maybe there's something going wrong. So I would be saying expect that to happen, anticipate that will happen and be reassured that that is completely normal. And like everything though, it can feel uncomfortable because some of the reason we don't want to be in the present or with our thoughts, some of the reasons that we spend all this time keeping ourselves distracted and busy is because maybe some of our thoughts are unpleasant. Yes. And maybe they're uncomfortable. And maybe they're judgmental and maybe we don't really like them. And so meditating, when we strip back all the things that we use to distract ourselves, feels really hard. It really can. It comes under the auspices of self-care and not necessarily self-soothing to take us back a few episodes. It definitely can be self-soothing, but it's not necessarily. And certainly if you... I've got a really stressed out brain, like there's a lot going on for you, then the idea of sitting down with your thoughts, the idea of letting go into relaxation can be really uncomfortable, at least initially. There could be a significant barrier and resistance there. Exactly. But, you know, here's a reframe for you, friends. The best meditations the ones in which you are training your brain the most are these ones because your brain's running off and you're bringing it back. And every time you bring it back without judgment, without getting cross at yourself, without getting exasperated, every time you bring it back, that is actually the beauty. Like that is the training. Yes. In some ways it's a bit like walking up a mountain. You do your training when it's hard, when you're going up the hill. You can walk on the flat and that's easy but it's not actually mountain training. Yes. I've been blessed in my life to have lots of fabulous meditation teachers, coaches and mentors throughout my time. I I love meditation. It's something of which I am extremely passionate and I love to teach it and I love to do it. And I've had a beautiful meditation teacher describe to me that every time your mind wanders off and you notice it and then you gently, kindly bring it back to your breath or whatever it is that you're concentrating on. It could be looking at the flower in front of you or it it could be the sensations in your skin or whatever it is, that, that mindful anchor that you keep bringing it back to. Every time your brain wanders off, you notice it and bring it back. It's like a mental push-up. 
So that actually is the point. That is the benefit, is this dance that you do with your brain because it increases your ability to do a few things. One is to sort of corral and like a sheepdog, kind of move and manoeuvre your thoughts into more helpful directions, which is a wonderful thing to be able to do. And also allows you to separate yourself from your thoughts because you're not your thoughts. You and your thoughts are different. And the fabulously quirky thing about human brains is that they lie to us just because we tell stories. We always tell stories to ourselves, to each other. Should come up to hear the fabulous stories my daughter comes up with to explain some of her less desirable behavior. And it's very, very reasonable. We tell ourselves stories, but that doesn't mean that our stories are real. Doesn't mean that our thoughts are real. Our thoughts are just thoughts. And if you can separate yourself from your thoughts, you can start to be a bit less reactive and more objective. And that's a really healthful place to be in and to work towards getting to. Absolutely. We and I mean we've talked a lot about this the time between your action and your reaction, the pause, the bit in the middle. And yes, you're absolutely right. The meditation or mindfulness and a combination of the both is a great way to be able to increase that time between action and reaction. To find that precious gap. Absolutely. So it's really interesting. It's meditation or mindfulness. And I I guess what I'm thinking of the moment is a mindful meditation. So learning to be able to sit, notice your thoughts, bring them back, notice your thoughts, bring them back. It's actually hard. Like I'd love to say, oh, it's simple. You just sit down and you can do it. It's, it's, it is hard and it's not actually fun. So it forms again into that bracket of self-care, that self-care that's not necessarily fun because it, it does feel hard and it does feel uncomfortable and there's thoughts that come up that we don't necessarily like And when you are able to redirect, I love your analogy then of the sheepdog and corralling them, but I also like the analogy that people will use about your brain being the station, the thoughts can come in. You choose to whether you want to get on that thought or whether you just step back and let it go. You're not running after the train, trying to get on it. You've let it go and it just zooms off to wherever it's going. You can't stop the thoughts coming in. You know, you'll just get run over. But you get to decide whether you want to engage with them or not. And you can just let them go. And letting them go doesn't require a lot of effort. I think a lot of people try and let go by chasing them away. But in fact, you just end up hanging on to them. It's just letting go. And mindfulness is a beautiful tool to allow you to learn that skill. But it won't happen in the first the first time you do it. And it probably won't even happen the second time. It takes a little while. It takes a practice to do this. And I think sometimes people set themselves up for things that are a bit hard. You know, they'll sit down, they're going to do 10 minutes. But again, if you're if you've never done it, that's like telling yourself you're going to do 100 push-ups when you've never done one. So getting back to your push-up analogy there, it is you start small, set yourself up for the win. Just do the one push-up. Do a couple on your knees, yeah, to you. <laughs> yeah, because so you could start off with the goal of, of doing a minute, two minutes. 
I'm a big fan of the three-minute mindful meditation in the morning because it's extremely doable and it honestly does make a difference. Even just three minutes a day can make a difference and it really does make a difference. So doing some regular mindfulness, particularly or meditation, literally changes your brain. Like it, it literally changes your brain and your body. Uh, it changes the gene expressions that get turned on and off. It causes these healthful epigenetic changes within our bodies. So this is literally changing your body and your mind for the better. It's powerful stuff. It is. And, you know, I think the things I love about it is it's it's portable because you can take your brain and your breath wherever you go or your brain in the back of your eyelids. Some people use the colours on the back of their eyelids as their anchor. You can take it wherever you go. Once you learn the skill, it's, you know, you don't need any equipment, maybe a chair. You don't even need a chair. You can lie down. You don't have to have a fancy cushion. You don't need a special meditation room. You can do it wherever you want, whenever you want, maybe not driving. but Not driving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's so many ways to do it. One of the offers that we have for people who may be interested in doing mindful meditation is in May we have a course coming and it really steps you through mindful meditation in a very gentle way, starting with one minute. Perfect. So every day, yes. And the idea being that every day you build on this skill by one minute. So by the end of May, 30 minutes, which is a lot. You don't necessarily have to do that, but you could. If you wanted to get to the point of doing a 30-minute every day, you build on it by a minute, a minute a day. So easy. If you're doing 30 minutes a day, beautiful, healthful changes are happening at the cellular level in your body, improving your detoxification pathways, improving all manner and aspects of your health and wellness and your mental fitness. So it is a beautifully safe and powerful tool. Lucy, <laughs> it could be useful just to take a moment now. Why are we on a podcast called Real Health and Weight Loss banging on about meditation and mindfulness? Ah, for so many reasons, so many reasons. So if we want to focus solely on weight loss, as a goal, we know that the majority of people who lose weight put it back on. In fact, it has been proven that 95%, over 95% of diets fail. So why do they fail? And they fail, well, there's multiple reasons. A lot of them are because they're ridiculous diets, like the Israeli army diet that I once did where you ate two days of apples and two days of um, cheese. It was just a crazy diet. So a lot of them fail because they're fad diets. A lot of them fail because they're calorie restriction. But let's put that aside and say that people who are wanting to do a low-carb real food diet and find they just can't keep doing it, the thing that is stopping them is not the food. It's their mind. It's managing their mind in often times of stress and distress. So learning to manage your mind in a way that you can use helpful tools to self-soothe is one part of it. The second part is that we know that most of you are living, you're not lying around being lazy. You are living extremely busy, hectic, stressful lives. And chronic low-grade stress 
increases low-grade inflammation, you know, alters our whole metabolic pathway, activates your cortisol, increases insulin resistance and a whole lot of things that you've heard me bang on about. So if you can learn to activate your parasympathetic or the rest and digest phase and balance that sympathetic nervous drive or the fright and flight that we spend a lot of time in, then that will help both your weight loss, but more importantly, your health immensely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Oh, good. I was about to say, is, is there, have I missed anything? <laughs> no, encapsulated it beautifully. Yeah. So, lovelies, I think this is it. I mean, we're, we're all looking for tools. Remember, as humans, one of our big drivers is we all want to feel better. We all want to feel better and we want to feel better in the moment. Okay, and that's why sometimes we'll use tools that are unhelpful to soothe. But learning this tool, particularly once you've practiced it and become very good at inducing that relaxation state quickly and easily, bringing your mind back, the benefits to your health are enormous. They are tangible, enormous benefits. It can make all your moments, better moments. Absolutely. Mindfulness, it's hard. If it was easy, we'd all be doing it. We'd all be walking around in blissful state of, you know, mindfulness. It's actually hard. So I get it. And there's lots of reasons that we attempted away from it and lots of stories that our brain will say. It will tell you it's too hard. It will tell you do it later. It will tell you, oh, I'm too busy to do it now. I haven't got time. They're all the stories it'll put up. And part of that is because, you know what, the mind actually loves just running amok, loves running on thinking about its own thing. And here you are offering part of your mind a solution, a way to sort of just calm. That's right, to calm the wet, slippery octopus. (laughs) Yes. But, you know, get all the arms just want to pop out. Yeah. (laughs) All right, lovelies, we will link Our meditation program, it will start 1st of May. Uh, We will link that in the show notes as well. If you're interested in starting on a journey with us, one minute a day, increasing slowly, calmly, setting you up for success so that by the end of May, you can do 30 minutes. Then hop on in. We will see you soon. Bye-bye, everybody. So my lovely listeners, that ends this episode of Real Health and Weight Loss. I'm Dr. Lucy Burns. And I'm Dr. Mary Barson. We're from Real Life Medicine. To contact us, please visit rlmedicine.com. And until next time, thanks thanks for for listening. listening. The information shared on the Real Health and Weight Loss podcast, including show notes and links, provides general information only. It is not a substitute, nor is it intended to provide individualized medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, nor can it be construed as such. Please consult your doctor for any medical concerns.